Open your Bibles, please, with me to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Today we continue to follow the difficult journey of Joseph. Last week, Joseph was sold as a slave. And then he was wrongfully accused. And then he was thrown into prison. Today, we're going to find out what happens to Joseph while he is in prison. Let's begin by reading the entire chapter together. This is God's holy and authoritative word to you and I this morning. It says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night, they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. He asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house." For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief baker and the head of the chief, the cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Amen. 
Would God bless the preaching of his word this morning. So, who is your favorite superhero? Who is your favorite superhero and what is their superpower? Is it Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, Black Widow, Captain America, Batman, Superman? I don't know about you, I've told you this before, but my family loves superheroes. I think that we have seen all of the Avenger movies multiple times over. They are just a lot of fun to watch as a whole, but there's also something that we love about seeing the seemingly ordinary person do extraordinary things. And that that really is typical of superheroes, right? Most superheroes don't display their superpowers 24-7. No, most superheroes look very normal most of the time, but then when needed, their superpower displays who they truly are. And in my opinion, those are the best moments in the movies, when, when the villain is taunting them. The villain who in that moment seems to have all of the power and control and who doesn't think that Peter Parker or Natasha Romanoff or Clark Kent has any power to respond, but then suddenly their hidden superpower comes out and they overpower the evil power. We, we love those moments. Well, friends, Genesis chapter 40 And really, the whole life of Joseph reveals to us the hidden superpower of Joseph and really the hidden superpower of all of God's people. Genesis chapter 40 and its account of Joseph being in prison might not at first seem like it has any immediate relevance or practical application into your life. But church, listen, in reality, this story is written to offer you a secret superpower this morning. Don't, don't you want a superpower this morning? Even as I open by saying it seems that we are particularly weary today and burdened by the circumstances of life. Don't you want a superpower to pull out in your time of need? Don't you wish that you had something to throw or shoot or spray or, or block that could defend you and help you to overcome the adversity that you're dealing with? This story is applicable into our daily lives because it gives us a superpower. Church, it gives us knowledge of God's providence. It gives us knowledge of God's providence, God's intentional, loving, and absolutely sovereign control over all things. It it gives us knowledge of the God who has ultimate power over the world of people who only think that they have power. Genesis chapter 40 is a a gift to us today, church, because it increases our understanding of and our appreciation for God's providence. And knowledge of God's providence is exactly the power that every Christian needs as they deal with their own weakness and with the oppression that comes from this world. We must understand the doctrine of providence. Knowledge of God's intentional and sovereign control is where true power can be found for weak and weary Christians in this world. Friends, the main idea for our message today is this. Power, power comes not from earthly position, but from trusting in God's providence. Power comes not from earthly position, but from trusting in God's providence. And we have four points today. Number one, assumed power. Number two, troubled minds. Number three, 
interpreted dreams, and number four, proven providence. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, assumed power. Look at verses 1 to 4 with me again this morning. It says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Did did you notice all of the titles and all of the positions of power that are listed in those four verses? Verse 1 speaks of the cupbearer and of the baker. Now, today, that might not seem like power titles to you, but they actually really are. Cupbearer and baker were were positions of, of power and influence in that day. These two men, their proximity to Pharaoh made them trusted advisors to the king. And so these two men were not small or insignificant figures in the political landscape of Egypt. No, they are major players. Many commentators throughout the week I was studying, they they describe these two men as valued officials, favorites of the king, distinguished men and Pharaoh's closest advisors. In other words, these guys are a really, really big deal. And so in verse 1, it speaks of the cupbearer and the baker, but it even says more than that, doesn't it? It speaks of who they worked for. It says the king of Egypt, and then it repeats that by saying their lord or their master, the king of Egypt. It uses the word Pharaoh there. Those are major titles of position and power. Friends, Egypt itself was a superpower nation in that day. And so the king of Egypt was a super powerful person in that day. And then there are other terms here that speak of position and power as well. Verse 2, it says, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, raising their position even higher in our minds as the reader. It, it speaks of the captain of the guard. It speaks of prison and confinement, both expressions of power. When you read these four verses, you should be thinking about worldly expressions of power all around us. In in these four short verses, you get a pretty clear picture of the power structure within Egypt, and it is an imposing, it is a daunting picture to consider. Church family, I I want to pause there. I want to pause there because the way that this is written acknowledges something that I believe should be a comfort to us this morning. Joseph, a member of God's chosen family, loved by God, he is completely surrounded by earthly power. He's not only surrounded by it, he's being negatively affected by it. He's, He's confined by this power. In other words, the villains of the story seem to be in control. And so Christian, let this comfort you this morning Let this comfort you that according to God's word, it is not abnormal to feel weak in this world. It is not wrong to feel small in comparison to the demonstrations of power all around us. Now, it's very important to say that not all power is bad. Not at all. 
See, many people in our day hate the idea of power and they want to undermine power wherever they see it. But, but God designed this world with positions of power. Even God himself is described as the God of all power. Not, not all power is bad. And as Christians, we, we shouldn't always scream against those who have positions and power. But friends, it is okay to acknowledge that a lot of power is wrong in the way that it is exercised and that it oftentimes hurts. And so like Joseph, you too might have an ungodly boss at work or college students. Listen, maybe, maybe the ungodly people and the ungodly groups on campus, they seem so powerful and they seem to have so much influence and it just makes you as a young Christian with your small group of friends feel so, so, so weak and so isolated and alone. Or maybe you're a person who's just anxious about the abuse of political power in our country. Or maybe a pastor or a religious leader has misused their spiritual authority and power to take advantage of you in some way. Christian, does it feel like the villains are winning in your life right now? If so, isn't it a comfort to be reminded this morning that, that you're not alone? Genesis chapter 40 reminds us that this is not abnormal for God's people. It's actually very normal. Dealing with the abuse of power in this world is a normal experience for God's chosen people. And it does not mean that God has left you or that God has forgotten about you. No, in fact, God wants to remind you this morning that the evil powers that you fear, that they in comparison to him, have no power at all. No power at all. And that, that brings us to our second point. Point number two, troubled minds. Look at verse five now. It says, after the cupbearer and the baker were thrown in prison, it says that they both had a dream. Now, listen, all of this, it needs to be remembered, is happening within the context of Egypt. And that, that's very important because Egypt was known to value dreams in a really big way. So the Egyptians shared a belief that when you went to sleep at night, that sleep put you in contact with their many gods. And they believed this so much that, that in Egypt, there were actually people who were called professional dream interpreters. And so like us today, if you lock your keys in the car, you call the locksmith and they come and they unlock the car for you. Well, if in that day you had a dream and you didn't know the meaning of it and you wanted to unlock the meaning of it, you would call a professional dream interpreter, a, a dreamsmith of sorts, and that dreamsmith would come and try to unlock the meaning of your dream. And apparently it was a very complex, even scientific way or process for them. The professional interpreter would have tools that he used. They would have books that they sought to use to define specific parts of your dream. And so if you tell them, well, I, I saw a cloud in my dream, well, they say, oh, that cloud means this. And if you said, oh, well, I saw a tree or a cow, they would say, well, that means this over here. Dreams were highly valued and the interpretation of those dreams greatly desired. But now these two men of power are restricted in their power. They're confined in prison. They can't even get out of prison and they are without interpreter. The, these two men of Egyptian power are not even able to understand their own dreams. And it says that they're very troubled by it. Verse 6 says that they were troubled. Verse 7 says that their faces were downcast. Church, church, do you see the, the contrast 
between verses 1 and 4 and verses 5 to 8. The first four verses of this chapter seem to almost flaunt the the power and the position of those in Egypt. Think about the original audience, the people of Egypt or the people of Israel who had just escaped Egypt. They didn't need to be convinced of this power because they knew it all too well. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. But now think about this. How encouraging for them and how encouraging for us to see this contrast laid out. All of this power laid out in verses 1 to 4, but then these two powerful officials do not have the power to escape from prison or even to say what their dream means. And listen, these two men, these two men are just a preview of Pharaoh himself the most powerful man in Egypt, who next week in chapter 41 will have his own set of dreams and he will not be able to interpret them either and he too will be troubled. Church, this should greatly encourage us. Evil power is real in this world. It's present. We deal with the effects of it. People really do use power to abuse and oppress others. The Israelites really were enslaved for 400 years. That wasn't just a bad dream. That was not just a metaphor. It was a painful reality. But think about what God is saying to us through this story. Friends, he's allowing us to, in a sense, peer behind the curtain and to realize that the villains of the story who seem so strong and powerful actually don't have any power at all. The big bad bully is not that big and bad when in comparison to God himself. Do you remember the the story of the Wizard of Oz? It's a great story. Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and, and the Cowardly Lion, great, great characters. And they go on this journey to find the Emerald City and, and they finally get there and then they work to get into the presence of the great and powerful Oz. And this is the moment, right? And they enter into his presence and, and there's all this fire and smoke and this huge face that's just billowing out commands and, and making them feel small and insignificant. Do you remember the cowardly lion? He, he tries to hold himself together for a little while, but then he just gives up. He grabs his tail, he runs down the hall, dives head first through the window. That, that's us Christians sometimes. Before the power of this world, sometimes we can be like, you know what, I'm just taking my ball, I'm going home, I'm going to hide in the closet till it's all over. But, but do you remember? Do you remember that little dog Toto and how it ran to the side of the big machine and it pulled the curtain back a little bit and what it showed was really what was just a really fairly small little man trying frantically to pull all the levers to keep the assumed power on display for them. But then it's revealed and Dorothy and the rest suddenly realize what is going on. Friends, God God is pulling back the curtain on all the evil powers and structures in our lives. All of the things that we fear, all of the things that are hard and that we are fighting for faith in, all of the things that we don't feel like we can control, all of the things that really do threaten us in real life, in comparison to God, he's telling us they ultimately have no power at all. Church, there's comfort for you here. The villains of the story your pain and sorrow, your trials and suffering, those who are attacking you, the family member who doesn't like you, the neighbor who slanders you, they may seem to have power in this moment, but ultimately, in God's view and in God's perspective, there you have no power at all. And therefore, you have power because you stand with the God 
who interprets all dreams and the God who interprets all of life and the God who interprets eternity itself. And that brings us to our third point, point number three, interpreted dreams. Joseph is such a contrast to these two officials in this text. It says in verse six that that Joseph saw that they were troubled. And I, I love that about Joseph. In order to see something, Joseph's face needed not to be cast down like theirs, but to be lifted up. I also love, I love this because Joseph is so different from you and I. Joseph, in this moment, is imprisoned with two men who represent the power system that Joseph is being actively oppressed by. But yet Joseph has compassion and he notices that they are troubled. I don't think that's how we would have responded. I think if we were Joseph, I think that many of us would take this opportunity to attack the cupbearer and the baker because they are part of the system which is affecting us. But that's not what Joseph does. No, he is a man of faith. He's a man of peace and calm. He he doesn't want to be in prison, absolutely not. And we see that in verses 14 and 15. But, But as long as he is there in that trial, he does not seem troubled by it. He is living by faith in that moment, and he's going about his work. He's ultimately serving the Lord and ultimately loving those around him, whoever God has put in front of him. And I don't know about you, but but I want to ask, how? How is that possible? How is Joseph able to live in that way? To me, it seems like he has a superpower working behind him. Where does that power come from? Well, friends, it comes from his confidence in God and in God's ability to make sense out of every circumstance. Look at verse 8. It says, Joseph simply responds, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. He's so confident in who God is. Church, this is his superpower. His confidence is not in himself or in his circumstances or being proven right or justified from the mistakes that have happened against him. His strength is not in getting back at those who have hurt him. No, his confidence is in God. And Joseph's confidence is in the right place. Church, please notice, please notice that there is no professional interpreter invited into the prison. There's no book of interpretation opened up before Joseph. There's no ceremony involved, no ritual, no. The men simply tell Joseph their dreams, and in verse 12 and in verse 18, he simply says, this is its interpretation. Folks, we don't even need to study the content of the dreams this morning. The point of the text is not in the content of the dreams. The point of the text is that the, of the inability of those powerful men to know anything and in the perfect ability of God to know everything. Joseph is confident that his God is the God of ultimate power. And Christian friend today, when you view this God rightly, the Lord Yahweh, you get a right interpretation for the rest of your life as well. When you see and know this God, your your troubled mind and your downcast face are lifted up. This God is the one who gives meaning and who interprets everything, even the worst trials in your life today. Knowing this one, 
Knowing this God enables you today to endure the worst kinds of evil and to persevere through them by faith. Now listen, we have to be very careful about how we talk about the abuse of power and how God calls us to persevere in it because in our day, there is a lot of conversations about power structures and the uh, oppression that many have endured. And if we are not careful about how we talk about that, we can be heard as saying that we're telling those who have been abused or oppressed or mistreated to just trust God and stay where they are and just endure through it. But listen, that's not the message of this text. That's not the message anywhere in God's word. When there is significant abuse happening, verses 14 and 15 demonstrate that that Joseph himself wants to get out of the situation. Trusting God does not mean that we ignore oppression. Trusting God does not mean that we allow ourselves to be misused or abused. No, God hates ungodly oppression and calls us to stand against it and to help those who are victims of it. And so, Redeemer Fellowship, may we be known for our eagerness to guard and protect from all forms of oppression and abuse and trauma. So important. But here's the point that I think this text is highlighting most. The people of God do not need to be consumed by their difficult circumstances. Friend, you do not need to be crushed by your trial today. Nor do you need to attack or cancel those who have hurt you. No, trusting God's providence liberates you from being consumed by anger, hatred, and worry or retaliation. We are able to live with peace and love because we know the God who is over all things and who has given us the right interpretation to all of life. And that right interpretation of life is that you are not defined by your circumstances. That right interpretation of life is that you are not defined by what has happened to you. That right interpretation of life is that you are not defined by any difficulty or sorrow. No, you are defined by the God that you believe in and in his great providence. His ability to work all things together for our good and for his glory. And that brings us to our fourth and to our final point. Point number four proven providence. God does not always do what you want him to do, does he? Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Have you ever wanted to say, God, what are you waiting for? God, now is the time in my life. Now is when you should answer that prayer. God, why Are you ignoring me? I think that we have all felt that, and I think that we can all wonder about that for Joseph in this story too, right? You would think, you would think that the best ending of the story that God could write is that God gets Joseph out of prison. Doesn't that seem like the the wise and the just thing to do? If God really loved Joseph, wouldn't he get him out of this trial? Friends, that's not what we see in this text. Joseph definitely wanted to get out. In verses 14 and 15, he tells the cupbearer to make a plea before Pharaoh on his behalf. But now look at verse 23. It says, 
Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He forgot him. He broke his promise. Joseph is still in prison. His trial doesn't come to an end. His circumstances don't change. And listen, it'll be another two whole years before the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph and speaks to Pharaoh about him. Two years! That does not seem to make sense to us today, does it? It doesn't seem like God is in control of that situation. Listen, if God is in control, wouldn't things be different here? Wouldn't that trial be over? Or would it? Friends, we often think that our timing is best, don't we? We often think that our timing is best, and we often forget that in God's providence, that though different from ours, his timing is never wrong. Do you know what God's providence is? God's providence is his power to actively and intentionally orchestrate all things in order to accomplish his purposes. John Frame says that the providence of God is God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and their actions. And so here at Redeemer Fellowship, you've probably heard us speak a lot about God's sovereignty. We, we love and celebrate God's sovereignty, but sovereignty is a little different than providence. Sovereignty has more to do with God's powerful ability and strength to direct all things, but providence is different. Providence speaks more of God's ability and wisdom in how he is directing all things. That's what providence is. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. The Lord is not only in control of all things. He is not only sovereign, he's also wise and good in how he directs all things. And friends, that's what we see in this text, even in the hardest parts of this text. Because we look at verse 23 where the cupbearer forgets about Joseph and we say, no, 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 that's not good. God, get him out of prison. God, if you love Joseph, you will end this trial for him. God, how can you be a good God if you let Joseph stay in that place? We often think that God is only doing good in us when life outside of us feels good to us. But God's providence says that God is good at all times. Providence says that there is never a time when God is not leading you and this world to a gracious and good end. And so the question that comes immediately into so many of our minds, well, well then, did, did God allow sin to enter into this world? Yes, he did. If he had not given the ability for, to, to make choices and the option to rebel, we would have been robots with no relational capacity to relate to him and to experience the joy of his love. And so, Christian, does God allow bad things to affect your life? Yes, he does. Those things are ultimately a, a consequence of humanity's sin, but they are not outside of his control. This is the world that he's created, and nothing, nothing happens without his permission and without his holy decree. And so, when bad things happen, 
Has God forgotten about you? Or is he ignoring you? No. In fact, God is often most active in our lives when those bad things are going on. See, friends, consider this with me this morning. The, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. And that seems to us as the reader as really, really bad. What, what good could come out of Joseph being left in prison for two whole more years? But what we learn together is that God allowed that he even decreed that the cupbearer would forget about Joseph. Why? So that two years later, when Pharaoh has his own sets of dreams, Joseph would be ready and waiting to interpret those dreams as well. If the cupbearer had remembered Joseph in verse 23, Joseph might have been released from prison, and who knows where he would have been two years later when Pharaoh needed him. But because he was there when Pharaoh needed him, he was then raised up and given a position of power and leadership in Egypt that will ultimately be used by God to preserve all of God's people through a significant famine that was coming to the land. It was Joseph in prison. It is Joseph being forgotten in prison that ultimately leads to God saving and preserving his people. Joseph's family, his father Jacob and all of his brothers, they will be saved from death because of how God left Joseph in prison for two years. Church, the ultimate story of redemption, which leads us to our salvation in Christ, that story is kept alive by Joseph remaining in prison. Do you see God's providence enables us to know that even in the darkest moments in life, they are a part of God's plan for us and for his people. We may not always understand it, but we can always trust it. Vodi Bakum says this, he says, Genesis chapter 40 stands as a reminder that God is at work even when we cannot see or know what he is doing. He says, when Joseph was on his way to visit his brothers, God had the mind in of the pit in mind. When he was in the pit, God had Potiphar in mind. When he was with Potiphar, God had prison in mind. And when he was in prison, God had Pharaoh in mind. Eventually, we will see that even when Joseph is with Pharaoh, God has more than that in mind. Christian, God's providence will never waste a single trial in your life. He is always working to refine his people and to use them to accomplish his purposes by displaying his sustaining grace. And so James chapter 1 says that you can count it all joy because today he's making you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter says that you are being refined brighter than gold itself. But you say, Joel, that, that, that just seems like wishful thinking to me. Aren't you just trying to put a positive twist on really crappy situations in life? No, church, this is biblical truth. This is what God himself says. He uses even the evil schemes of men to accomplish his greatest good in this world. Think about the Apostle Peter. In the book of Acts, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, Peter is talking to the Pharisees and he, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as yourselves know. Listen, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, says that even the most evil moment in all of history, the moment when God himself dies for humanity, Peter says even that was not outside of God's providence. That, that act was done by the hands of lawless men, but it was all according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, God's providence brought about the cruelty of the cross. In other words, God wrote a story that included his very own son dying on that cross. But because of his providence, church, it's not a bad story. It's a good story. It's a beautiful story, not an ugly story. Christian, listen, because of what he accomplished on that cross, because of God's providence in and through that cross, the story that he is now writing in your life, which includes trials of various kinds, it too is a beautiful story, not an ugly one. Because of his providence, your suffering today, and I know there's a lot of suffering represented in this room, your suffering is not wasted either. It too is a beautiful thing because God is going to work it together for your good. Friends, this is the superpower that God has for all who know him. When you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you, you gain not only forgiveness for your sins, but you gain a new perspective on life and on this world. You, you no longer view this life with just human eyes. You view it through God's eyes, and you know that all the things, small and big, the things that are broken and the things that seem good, they all are part of his loving plan. You know, Ashley and I went to a very small Bible college back in the day. That's where we met. We quickly fell in love and got engaged. But on a small college campus, there, there are not many places just to sit quietly and talk together without being bothered. And so one of the only places that we could find was in the mailroom. The mailroom was this old, dirty room. It had this huge wall of mailboxes with those little glass uh, pieces of glass so you could see in to see if you had any mail, a whole room of it. It was broken. It was beaten down. It was not pretty in any way. But it was one of the only places that we could go to find quiet. And so we spent hours just talking there together. And I remember one Valentine's Day came by and I wanted to do something special for Ashley. And so I asked permission from the mail lady to have access to the back of the, the mail room. And then now, over about two weeks period of time, I cut out hundreds of little pieces of, of pink and white paper. And then the night before Valentine's Day, I got access to the back of the, the mail room and I started reaching into each of the mailboxes. Technically, don't think it's legal, but that's okay. Ignore that fact of part of the story. I reached into each part of the mailbox and I put those pieces into the glass of the mailbox. And as I reached in, I, I didn't read the mail, but I'm sure that there were many different things represented there. There were mailboxes filled with probably loving notes from parents to students. There were mailboxes probably filled with unpaid bills. There were mailboxes filled with difficult news and hard news. There were mailboxes filled with, with past exams and failed exams. And as I reached by each of those things and put that, that, that piece of paper in the window, uh, none of it was impressive. All of it seemed mundane. All of it, much of it seemed hard. It took a long time. I was sweating by the time I was done with it, but I kept doing it and we kept going in it. And so the next morning when Ashley walked into the mail room, that whole wall said, I love you. 
in these words that communicated my heart to her. Even despite all those, the work that was involved and the, the difficulties represented in each of those boxes. Friends, it's the same in our lives. God's providence is, is the key. His providence fills each area of our lives, each trial. It fills each joy. His providence takes the good news that we celebrate and the hard news that we grieve. His providence takes the unpaid bills and the financial blessings. His providence takes the happy baby dedications and the sorrowful deaths that we mourn. His providence takes it all and it writes in all of that these words, I love you and I will never forsake you. God's providence is the key. It is the key to understanding the story of Joseph and is the key to making sense out of our chaotic lives. Power comes not from earthly position, but from trusting in God's providence. Christian, do you feel forgotten today? Forgotten in your marriage Forgotten in your singleness, forgotten in your illness, forgotten in your work. Do you feel like you are in prison? The prison of other people's opinions about you. The prison of your own mind and mental wellness. The prison of depression, the prison of anxiety. Do you feel forgotten in your financial struggles, forgotten in your childlessness, forgotten in this pandemic? Do you feel confined in a prison that only seems dark and hopeless? Oh, friends, look to the providence of God this morning. Look to the providence of God this morning. They can take the the ugliness even of the cross and paint a beautiful picture of salvation for all of God's people. Look to the providence of God that that left his only begotten son hanging on that cross who also felt forgotten, who also cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? But who was still in that horrific moment at the very center of God's plan of redemption. Look to his providence. Believe God's word over your circumstances and receive comfort that your situation is not hopeless and that God can work in and through you. Believe with me this morning the words of Romans chapter 8 which says that because of the love of God in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate us from him. Look to him and find comfort in him this morning. Power comes not from earthly position but from trusting in God's providence.